Thank you for stopping by at the Movie Marquee. Our podcast reviews well-known movies and contains spoilers. The podcast may contain mature subject matter and mature language. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy the show. Quiet on set. Places, everybody. Welcome everyone to the Movie Marquee. Today's showing is the 1989 action comedy Lethal Weapon 2. With me today is Ted. I'll make you a deal, Arjun or Arian or whatever the fuck your name is. I'll make you a little deal. You fold up your tents and get the fuck out of my country and I won't do anything to you. And Ken. Get off me, man. I don't want anybody to see us like this. Yeah. And I'm Eric. We're back. We're bad. You're black. I'm mad. And here we are, (laughs) reviewing Lethal Weapon 2. But, Ted, tell but, us the particulars. What? But you're black. But but you're black. You're black. But you're black. Great scene. Great scene. Tell us about some of these particulars, uh, Ted. What do you got? Alrighty. So we have Lethal Weapon 2, which is directed by Richard Donner with a screenplay by Jeffrey Bohm. A running time of 114 minutes. It was released on July 7th, 1989. It had a budget of $30 million. It had a box office gross of $227.9 million. So overwhelming success, summer blockbuster. Lethal Weapon 2 stars Mel Gibson again as Detective Martin Riggs. Danny Glover reprising his role as Detective Roger Murtaugh. Newcomer Joe Pesci as Leo Getz. Joss Ackland as Arjun Rudd. Derek O'Connor as Peter Vorstead. Patty Kensett as Rita Vandenhaas. Darling Love as Trish Murtaugh. Steve Cahan as Captain Ed Murphy. Mark Ralston as Hans. Jeanette Goldstein as Detective Megan Shapiro. Dean Norris as Detective Tim Cavanaugh. Nestor Serrano as Detective Eddie Esteban. Mary Ellen Trainer as Dr. Stephanie Woods. Kenneth Tigar as Becker. Pat Skipper as the Hitman. Bruce Young as the Hitman. Tracy Wolfe as Rianne Murtaugh. Junie Smith as Detective Tom Weiler. And Jack McGee as Mickey McGee. That's a great cast of uh, people we've never heard of, just like yeah. the Sleep a Weapon. That's all good. What did the uh, critics think of this one, Ted? Well, starting off with Rotten Tomatoes, it is a certified fresh with a critic score of 82%. It has an audience score of 77%. Now, finding negative reviews of this particular movie with credible critics was really hard. I had to search high and low. I'll start off with our friend Gene Siskel. I couldn't find a written review that he did, but I did watch his clip of At The Movies, and he liked all the characters around the leads, Glover and Gibson, but he thought that they were not original or believable. He did not recommend the movie. But Michael Wilmington from the LA Times, he did have an interesting bit on his review that he wrote, which was also negative. He said, The movie is keyed up. Hyper. Lethal Weapon 2 has the brain-rattling pace of a terminal speed freak going the wrong way down an expressway. When people get angry at each other, they don't swear or fight. They drop a dumpster on somebody, or blow up the house of a poker game, or hitch up a truck and chain and pull their house off the hillside. But there's a sense in which all these recent one-against-a-hundred-cop and war thrillers represent the gouty degeneration of the great tradition of the American action movie. Substituting hardware for atmosphere, exaggeration for suspense, sadism for humor, shtick for character, Blood and guts for body and soul. It's ironic because it seems obvious that what the public liked most about Lethal Weapon and what Donner and Bohm want to give them more of were the scenes with Mel Gibson and Danny Glover acting together. It's a tribute to both actors that they keep their cool and charisma here, even when they're locked in each other's arms and a toilet is flying out the window. So ultimately, it was a mostly negative review. I did find quite a few positive reviews, though. One was from Karen James of the New York Times. She summed up her review, If you liked Lethal Weapon, you'll like Lethal Weapon 2. It's almost as simple as that. 
Rita Kempley from the Washington Post summed up her review with, you've got your chases, you've got your explosions, you've got your destruction of property and death of innocent bystanders, and all of this bonding too. And you would think that that would be a negative review, but it was actually positive. And then, of course, there's Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times. He gave it a three and a half out of four stars and summed up his review. Lethal Weapon 2 is that rarity, a sequel with most of the same qualities as the original. Riggs and Murtaugh stumble onto their scheme of bad guys through the help of the movie's most memorable character, a fast-talking pipsqueak named Leo Getz, and the several astonishing chase scenes in the movie which succeeded in entertaining me, even though I am heartily sick of the chase scenes in general. The creation of the Getz character is the movie's master stroke. Instead of recycling scenes in which the two partners fight with each other, Lethal Weapon 2 provides a third character who can exasperate both men. This doesn't seem like a sequel, but like a movie in which new discoveries are always possible. I will say this, I do like Roger Ebert's review. I agree. I like that one too because it's right. This movie, just to kind of to roll with it there, it's not really a sequel. It's just another day of them being officers and cops. It's right. another day. I don't know what the third and the fourth one they're going to bring us. You'll have to stay tuned for that. But compared to the first one, I agree. It's not a sequel. It's just another day at the office for these guys. And we'll talk about it, but I do like the new character. There's just parts of him that are highly annoying to me. But overall, I agree with Roger Ebert a lot. But I can see yeah. also, too, taking a overhead view, I can see where Michael Wilmington had his negative review. There is a lot of the action that is schlocky. Yeah, yeah but it was like but... that in the first one, too. That's the way True. the series is. True. You know what you're getting. Well, obviously, with the money it made at the box office, people loved it. We know that. Ken, what's the plot of this sequel? Two years after the original Lethal Weapon, Sergeants Martin Riggs and Roger Murtaugh are pursuing unidentified suspects transporting illegal shipments of gold cougarants. The Afrikaner apartheid government of South Africa subsequently orders Los Angeles Consul General Arjun Rudd, who might be Paul Rudd's uncle, and security agent Peter Volstead to warn both detectives off the investigation. They are assigned to protecting an obnoxious feral witness, Leo, whatever you want, gets, after an attack on Murtaugh's home. It soon becomes clear that both cases are related after an attempt on Leo's life. Riggs and Murtaugh learn of Leo's murky past, which includes laundering funds for a vengeful drug smuggler. Leo leads them to the gang, but upon dispatching his would-be assassin and returning with backup, they are confronted by Rudd, who invokes diplomatic immunity. Though instructed to leave the case alone, Riggs begins to openly harass Rudd and romancing his secretary, Rika, who despises her boss and his racial philosophy. Murtaugh enlists Leo's help in creating a scene at the consulate that wins the support of anti-apartheid protesters outside. But, but, but you're black. Forstead is dispatched to murder all the officers investigating them while Murtaugh deducts that Rudd is attempting to ship funds from a smuggling ring in the United States to Cape Town. Two assassins attack Murtaugh at his home, but he kills them both with a contractor's nail gun. Ouch. But Leo is abducted in the process. After killing many of the investigating officers, Forstett seizes Riggs at Rika's apartment, and he discloses to Riggs that he was responsible for Riggs's wife's death years earlier, but botched the assassination attempt on him. He has his men kill Rika by drowning her and orders them to do the same to Riggs. Riggs escapes and barely kills both of the men. He phones Marta, declaring intention to pursue Rudd to avenge his wife, Rika, and their fallen friends. After rescuing Leo and destroying Rudd's house, they head for Rudd's freighter docked in the port of, of Los Angeles as the South Africans prepare their getaway with hundreds of millions of drug money. While investigating a guarded 40-foot cargo container at the docks, Briggs and Murtaugh are locked inside by Rudd's men. They break out of the box, scattering two pallets of Rudd's drug money into the harbor, and in the process, Briggs and Murtaugh engage in a firefight with some of Rudd's men before separating to hunt down Rudd. Briggs stabs Vorstedt with his own knife and crushes him by dropping a cargo container on him. Rudd retaliates by shooting Riggs in the back multiple times. Rudd again invokes diplomatic immunity upon C. Murtaugh. Murtaugh fairly shoots him, and then he tends to Riggs sharing a laugh with them as the LAPD personnel responds to the scene. 
got to love the comic scenes of how they kill everyone in this. You know, they drop a freight on a guy. It's very uh, Looney Tunes, if you think about it. It is extremely Looney Tunes. Very yeah. Acme, very uh, Wiley e. Coyote. Now, not the blowing up of the houses and the toilet. It's not like they just go in there and put a bullet in the head and walk out. They're not like mob kills. They have to do it fancy-like. They go out the window and they fall into the, the swimming pool. A lot of the stuff is very, very cartoonish and would only happen in a cartoon or video game. <laughs> that it will. When is the first time, Ted, you saw this uh, movie? I'm not exactly sure that I've seen it before this week. Really? Yeah, I'm not exactly... That is surprising. Yeah, I don't think that I have. And if I did, I don't remember, and it, everything seemed new. So I'm going to say that I probably haven't seen it before. So this week for the podcast was, I'm going to say, the first time I've seen it. That's really surprising, actually. All right. How about you, uh, Ken? Cable? Late night? Home? Theater. I wouldn't say first run. I would say like the dollar movie. Over here in Aurora, two movie theaters. They had a first run movie theater and they had the second run the movie theater. And I saw it at the second. Really? So, yep. For a buck. It was something you did basically when you were 17, 18, 19 years old. You waited for that buck show. Is that where the Hollywood Palms is now? No, this is where the Piazza or the Boundary okay. used to gotcha. be. Gotcha. I saw his first run. Not at the Dollar Theater, at the Big Buck Theater. I went with a bunch of friends and saw it. Oh, uh, the big five, six dollar theater. Uh, yeah, I think it was probably like five or six bucks at that time. It was uh, a little bit less than it is now. Yeah, I, I saw this bad boy at the theater, and uh, I remember loving it. I'm actually going to correct myself. I saw it at the Dollar Theater, but it wasn't the Fox Valley one. It was the good old Ogden Six. May it rest, May in, rest peace. in peace. After I saw it, there was a music store in the strip mall that was selling the soundtrack to this movie. The song at the end of the movie was Cheer Down, and it's by George Harrison. It's performed by George Harrison, but written by him and Tom Petty and... The rest of the Traveling Wilburys. Wilburys, No, it was Jeff Lynn. It was those three guys, which were three-fourths of the Traveling Wilburys. I was going to say, it sounded so much like ELO. I was like, yeah, it sounds like ELO. Being a big Beatles fan at that time, and still am, I had to go get the soundtrack because of George Did Harrison's the soundtrack song. have uh, Clapton's version of Knocking on Heaven's Door? It's a good question. It's been forever since I listened to it, so I don't recall. His version is one of my favorite versions of Knocking on Heaven's Door, and we'll get into that later in the podcast about how that was all going to work out, because there's a drastically different end to this movie that was shot and never saw the light of day. You hear that song, you're thinking, somebody's going to die. Well, that's usually how that works. Why else would you play Not uh, Heaven's Story? The soundtrack is very interesting. It also has a Beach Boy song called Still Cruising. If you want to start talking about the soundtrack, the soundtrack to this movie is good. I think that Clapton picks out some really good music here, but I'm going to say right off the bat, the guy who does the musical cues, it was bad. I did not like the musical cues. I did not like the little interludes. I thought that they made things that weren't hokey that made them very, very jokey and hokey. You mean like that? Yeah. I could not stand it. It drove me up a wall. It's the same cues from the first movie. It is, literally. It sounds just like well, it. It is the same one. The way that they're used here, they use them in serious moments. And it takes a serious moment, makes it stupid. Yeah, I don't so like Knocking it. on Heaven's Door is on the soundtrack. Randy Crawford, Clapton, and David Sanborn. There's something going on with this movie that it can't decide whether it wants to be serious or if it wants to be a jokey action movie. A little bit of both, actually. I don't think it's either one. They should have picked a lane. You're right. It doesn't know where it wants to be. It doesn't have that identity A little bipolar, maybe. (laughs) Bipolar movie. It goes back and forth. And I think because the subject is serious, I think they're trying to balance it out with the comedy. And sometimes they go maybe a little too far with too much comedy. Whereas in the first one, you had comic phrases here and there, funny things that happens here and there. But they were placed in the right spots here. I think it happens one too many times. I don't think it yep. it kills the movie, but I, I understand where you're coming from. You're exactly right. The first movie, it was placed in good spots and there wasn't too much of it. And luckily, my favorite scene wasn't ruined by s- stupidity for me, even though it could have been. And I just choose to ignore the end of the scene. My favorite scene of the whole movie is when Murtaugh's on the toilet. 
and it's rigged to blow. And Mel Gibson's character, Riggs, doesn't know for sure if they're going to make it out of it. And they have a moment that is my favorite moment in the entire movie outside of the very end where Murtaugh's holding Riggs. And they have a serious connection where you can tell that they're not just friends anymore. They're family. There is a love between these two guys that they have for each other. And it's serious. I, in a room. No. It, no it's, it's a serious moment. And I don't like the fact that after everything's okay... I understand those guys want to break the tension. What I didn't need was the toilet flying out of the house. Well, that's but, your comic jokey scene. And everything is happening to his car. Is His wife's car is just getting the crap beat out of it throughout the movie. That's one another thing that I just can't stand. Why are they even using their personal car to do these things? The L.A. police don't have... Uh, they they don't have undercover cars that they can use. Have a Caprice they can give them to drive around. Exactly. I don't know. It's yeah. it's ridiculous. The thing is, you had a funny joke in there with the oven. Trista's cooking. That's all you needed was that funny joke right there to break the tension. From there, you say, "Get off of me! I don't want anybody seeing us like this." That's another bit of the joke. You don't have to do the toilet falling right. on the car. You have enough because there. he's just not trying to be funny there by saying, "I don't want anybody to see us like that." That's letting Murta know that they're okay and everything's safe now and that they've made it through. I get that. I don't get the, the toilet, but that's still my favorite scene. These two guys are so good at what they do. They take a preposterous situation where he's on the toilet, the toilet's rigged to blow, and those two guys made it something. They're so good at what they do in those moments. They don't need the other crap. That's one of my biggest frustrations. It's the stupid line after he shoots the guys with the nail gun, uh, nailed them. I don't need that shit. Too old and, for that shit? Yeah, it's, it does, the movie doesn't need it. Because the storyline for a sequel is really good. It doesn't need this other crap. Joe Pesci's character. I love the introduction of Leo Getz. If more sequels took this sort of thing to heart, where they introduce a new character that can add something to the story, but he doesn't have to be so over the top with the, okay, 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 that drives me insane. Yeah, he's like he's like a giant three-year-old. He's annoying as is. He doesn't need the, okay, 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 okay. I don't have a problem with any of that. In fact, Roger's character, him saying, nailed it i think that's roger's personality that's what he does in all these movies are they stupid yes are they roger yes i don't think they're added on just to add them on i think it's part of roger's personality he later on says i decaffeinated him yeah it's, it's something that roger likes to do he likes to say so it doesn't bother me he says that because that's what roger does when he says the decaffeinated thing he's mm -hmm. trying to make Riggs feel like he's gonna be okay because he doesn't know if he's gonna live or not in that moment and that's after he shoots the dude in the head and i understand that i don't understand the rest of it and that's on top of his normal thing, I'm too old for this shit. He did that just enough in the first one that it didn't get old. But now they did that in this movie, but then they added other little jokey catches after things. It's too much. He's a jokey dad. That's how it plays off in the first movie and the second movie. He's a jokey guy. I'm not bothered by that. And as far as Leo gets, because it's a new character, it doesn't bother me. When it bothers me is when we go look in the next couple of movies, then it gets a little bit on the old side. But for the first movie, I don't have a problem with that because Leo needs to be annoying. He needs to be that third squeaky wheel. He needs to be out of place because Roger and Riggs, they're made for each other. Riggs is really into the Three Stooges. I look at Pesci's <laughs> character as being curly, like abusing him. He's getting slapped around. He does the thing with the nose after he like breaks his nose. He's got the balls of white tissue up his nose, and then he yanks his nose up to like fix his nose. That's something that the Three Stooges would do. I mean, the, Shemp, he's the fourth stooge. Yeah, he might be the fourth stooge. Yeah. I completely understand. And maybe if those other jokey things weren't put in, the okay, 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 probably wouldn't have gotten on my nerves as much as it did. But because there's this other stuff, it's too much. The movie's plot and everything and how the movie moves, it doesn't need this. And this is a problem that we've run into with some other Richard Donner movies where he just intersperses stuff at the wrong time. But in the original Lethal Weapon that we talked about, it's the right amount. 
I don't know if maybe he thought that the subject matter was too dark that they needed this, but the movie didn't need it. These guys have proven that they can pull it off. I don't think that Leo's character works as just a bland character. He needs to have that obnoxiousness that gets on Riggs and Murtaugh's... He's uh, obnoxious there. anyway. He is, but I guess I just don't have a problem with it because I feel like it's like a nervous tick. He, it's kind of like somebody who stutters when they want to say something but don't know how to get it out. That's how I look at Leo. He's got that nervous tick. So he goes, yeah, you know, that, that. I don't see a problem with that. It's when the, we get into the other movies that I have a little bit more of a problem with it because I like to see a character somewhat evolve. So, and we'll talk about that later on in those other movies. But here, he's the needed third wheel. He's the needed part because without him, it's just a retread of the first movie. And he works extremely well with these two. It's amazing the chemistry is intact. So many times do I see a sequel where they throw in a third wheel and it just messes everything up. Here, it feels natural. It's, it doesn't feel like he shouldn't be there at any time during this whole movie. And I think that says something about all three of these actors and the ability that they have to work with other people. Gary, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. You have three of the most high-quality actors going. Don't get me wrong. I like the introduction of the Leo Getz character. I think it's a good addition it works well. He's annoying, as he's supposed to be, and it works. It's just I don't want Murtaugh and Riggs to be annoying. These three guys together, this is gold. And they hit something here that you don't usually see in a sequel. Like you said, the introduction of a new character in a sequel is usually the death of that particular sequel. And here, it's absolutely not. That's a tribute to Joe Pesci as much as it is to the writer here. One of my favorite scenes, if not my favorite, is this embassy. You got Leo say, I don't want my friend to go. It's the wrong time. And he brings in Roger. And then he goes, but you're luck. Then they go back and forth. Roger starts to go, of course, I want to go there because I want to help my father brothers. And, and Leo's kind of repeating everything that he's saying. And it's funny. It's enjoyable. That scene in itself is really powerful by Danny Glover in itself, but it's balanced well from Joe Pesci being the obnoxious on the other end, but it's not overly obnoxious because of how Danny Glover is, is performing the scene. You root for Roger right there. You want him to like, you know, take on the whole government right there and then. Oh, and yeah. Of course, and of course they're just doing it so Riggs can sneak in, but it's a powerful scene. And, and when we talk about this scene, we go back to Lethal Weapon 1, where the fridge uh, has an apartheid I guess what had happened before this movie was even thought of was they got some feedback from that fridge and some of it wasn't very good feedback. Mm. And so they go, you know what? We're just going to do a movie on that just to stick it to those people who had a problem with that being on our fridge. I will say this about Richard Donner. He's very forward and very a man of the times as far as what his views are on certain things. He does intersperse that into a lot of his movies. And I'm sure that the end apartheid magnet on the fridge was definitely deliberate by him because at this time this was a huge issue when this movie was shot and put out Nelson Mandela was still in prison and he was imprisoned for just basically for being black and being a leader don't forget that Danny Glover played Mandela yes in, in a movie the HBO movie Mandela yeah, this is a huge issue. It's not an issue that I have because I understand it in a way. And I do like the fact that ultimately it's Murtaugh that shoots the big bad guy in the head and kills him. That is just reward for Murtaugh because he's black. And I don't know if we need his henchman to have been the person that killed Gibson's wife. I thought that that was a little bit piling on because these guys are already bad. We know these guys are disgusting and they're evil. So we're going to just pile on the top that he killed Gibson's wife. They had to know that they were there was going to be a third. In my opinion, they'd be lying if they said they didn't. Why not hold that particular card out for a potential third movie? instead of just piling it on top of this movie. Ultimately, it doesn't bother me, but it's a card I would not have played in this movie because these guys are already horrible. 
I think it would have been better if it was set up differently. Because all we hear is a car accident, but maybe if Riggs thought there was something fishy about that car accident, then maybe that would have been better. But I understand where you're coming from. I do think there's a little bit of a pylon. But we also have to remember, it's not much of a different pylon than we got in the first movie. Because you had the general in the first movie, and then you had Mr. Joshua as his henchman. So you had two guys, and Roger kills the general, and Riggs kills the henchman. It's almost the same thing as it in one as in two so it's almost a rehash all you have is the apartheid situation thrown in the middle of that and isn't it kind of funny how in the first one and the second one how uh riggs kills the henchman it's always like a little bit of a over-the-top fight scene in the second one in the hull of the boat there do you see that fancy footwork that what's his name had the the henchman yeah. guy it was a little too rope-a-dope Muhammad Ali yeah. style yeah. for my taste, but he still did a good job. And of course, Mel Gibson does a really good job in the fight scene. Well, I thought it was a little too dancey. Very dancey. Uh, my biggest problem with that whole scene is the end where he gets shot multiple times. I like us guessing at the end, does he die or not die? I wish they would have basically left it open-ended. So if they decide not to do a third movie, you're left with that thought, did Riggs die at the end or was he alive? But they start joking about it and start laughing. Then again, that's the identity. Are you a serious movie or are you a comedy? Or are you uh, trying to be a mixture of both? So. I think we can agree the first two are hybrids of both. Like Ted said, they don't pick a lane. They swerve between lanes and sometimes it's out of character. But I think this movie is staged to be a mixture of an action with comedy because when you get these guys together there's sarcasm between them it's a great a buddy cop sarcastic movie they do such an incredible job at it you couldn't do a serious a rambo first blood revenge movie you got to have the jokey kind of comedy on it but some of it is a, a little over the top so here's the thing the first movie you had Riggs struggling with depression suicidal thoughts because of his wife being killed in a car accident why not have him find out it's not an accident earlier in the film and have him go back to being that character that, that's blaming himself for her dying because somebody killed her because of a case that he was working on. And then he reverts a little bit back to that first character. The problem with the second movie here is Riggs is a little too happy boy. He's got his best buddy. He's still hurting a little bit, but it's not the same as the first movie. So the first movie has all the seriousness and then some jokes thrown in there here and there. Where now you lost that seriousness in the second movie because of Riggs' character. And then you try to do certain things. Like you kill his girlfriend off at the end and you do all these strange things and then everything is thrown on top of each other at the end and then it gets all muddled. And I think that's where this is a step below the first movie because they're just trying to do so much towards the end. A lot of this could have been done at the beginning or in the middle of this movie. They're thrown all the way at the end and it just makes everything murky. Or if you hold off on some of the storylines and you don't play those cards here, you wait to play those cards because you're exactly right. I think that the realization that Riggs's wife's death, I think, should have had had more of an impact on the overall scheme of the movie because that was the linchpin for why he was who he was in the first movie. That's why I think it's a little bit too much here where you really didn't need to play that card as far as all of that goes, which would have set up more for a better third movie. And as far as being over the top, there's some things here, like the first time the henchmen get into Murtaugh's house and all they do is put the tape over his mouth and his wife's mouth. I don't understand that at all. I guess the message you're trying to say, we can get to you anytime we want, but it's very weird and it seems hokey. But there's one part as far as being over the top that really got me, and that's the pulling of the house off of the cliff. He uses what would be like a Ford F-150. That's a dually. That's like an F-350 diesel. Uh, that's a hard, okay. that's like big old GMC Silverado. Even with that, if you try to do that with a regular truck, it's going to tear the axle right out of the back of the truck. I didn't see that at all. That was a little too much for me. For a movie that ultimately I thought worked a lot. And like Kenneth had mentioned, they killed the girl that he's interested in. And I guess you can't really say it's a relationship. They are only together really like for one night, part of a day. And she dies. 
But I, they fell in love. But there was a connection there. That would have been they, enough to go into a dark place and kill him. They didn't need to then put his wife on it as well. In fact, I would have rather just kept the wife. I think the girl should live, but then because of everything that's happened, she's freaked out and needs to go back to South Africa, wherever she came from. I'm just not buying their relationship. So they bumped heads when he was trying to pick up the stuff that she dropped, and all of a sudden they're like goo-goo-gaga for each other. It's just He's it's infatuated just with her. She's hot. I mean, yeah, she's hot. I, and I then get she eventually stand. comes over to his trailer, and they have there is conversation there. So they do find that they have stuff in common and sure and then they have some more likes nine innings of sex well nine innings and i mean better up i'd get their relationship it's it's an infatuation that's growing into something more it's like the james bond film james bond gets the girl and then the girl has to die it's typical james bond all right so yes that's exactly what this is and the -the over-the-top stuff is very bond-esque the villains are very bond-esque very much. It's almost treading too much to No, bond. Mr. Riggs, I expect you to die. Exactly. <laughs> you almost expected him to sit there stroking <laughs> a cat and saying Right. Um, he would look good with a cat with the way he presented himself. I think of, like, uh, Austin Powers. I think Doc, yeah. Dr. Evil. He's like Dr. the Dr. Evil. Evil with the cat. Very much so. That's the ground that they're trying to tread on here, and it doesn't work that way because I think that Lethal Weapon should stay Lethal Weapon and Bond should stay Bond. But yeah, these guys are a little bit Bond villain-ish. Which is why this movie isn't up to par as the first one. The first one has more originality to it. This one is borrowing so much from Bond and other action movies. It's not Lethal Weapon. It's not the least the first movie. It's still an enjoyable film. I still like it. I still enjoy watching it. But it is a downgrade because characters are a little bit more cartoonish. You don't have that Riggs moment where he's crying with the gun. There's a nice little scene with Murdoch's wife where they talk about the pen. And it's a nice little conversation that they keep between each other. It's nice, but it's not the same level by any means. But we don't really get to see that kind of acting that we saw in Lethal Weapon 1 here in Lethal Weapon 2. Lethal Weapon 2 is just them having fun. If we suspend our believability, then we may have more fun with this movie than we do. But when you view a movie and then you dissect a movie, you find holes and you find problems. And I think that's what this movie sets it up to be is to poke holes at it. Well, they have moments of really good acting. That's part of what kept me interested, essentially. And it's the playoff of the three characters together. And it's that, like I said, it's the scene between Riggs and Murtaugh with the bomb. And then Riggs and Murtaugh at the end when Murtaugh thinks Riggs is dying. I think those scenes are what keeps the movie together. I know this is really kind of weird to say this. Is it good acting or is it good chemistry or is it both? Because I feel like they can be separate because there is that beautiful chemistry, natural chemistry between the leads. But I don't think they are showing the emotion that they had in the first movie. And it's a totally different movie, so they probably don't have to. Like I said, it does take a little bit away from the first movie. That's expected, though. What sequels live up to the first movie? There are very, very few out there. I know people will quote The Godfather as one of those movies, but it doesn't happen very often because the second one is all about how much more can we do? How much more explosions and chase scenes and all that stuff can we throw in there? Because we have to top the first movie. They don't think we need to top it by acting. We need to top it by explosions. And, and all that stuff. That's where sequels miss the boat. They could be so much better if they just figure out a way to improve the story and the acting off the first movie. To answer you the question at the beginning there, I think it's both. I think it's both chemistry and acting. I think they're three of the best out there, and I think that they do have a chemistry. I think Donner hit gold with finding that these guys had the chemistry and the timing that they have with each other. It was very fortuitous. In other actors' hands, both movies are bad, colossally bad. And as far as sequels go, this falls and into a tier below the really good sequels. It's just below that. With Lethal Weapon, it was always compared to Die Hard because of Mel Gibson and Bruce Willis and the interchanging of these two characters because Mel Gibson was supposed to be John McClane and Bruce Willis was supposed to be Martin Riggs. You don't have to look any farther than the comparison between Lethal Weapon 2 and Die Hard 2, which Die Hard 2 is one of the biggest abominations ever put on film. Is that the one where they're trying to take down planes? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. 
That movie sucks in so many ways. It's barely watchable. This movie is so far above that, they're not even in the same category. This movie leaves that movie in the dust. It suffers from not having a person to work with. Bruce Willis is by himself for in these two movies, whereas Danny Glover and Mel Gibson have each other. It also suffers Later from on, writing. If I were to give it a rating at this moment in time, it's probably just a C movie. It's nothing special. I don't think it's Abomination Die Hard 2. It's a step above Caddyshack 2. No, uh, no, 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 no. Oh, Die Hard 2? No. Yeah. Go back and no, watch no, it. No, no, But Die Hard Caddyshack 2, man, that is like Die Hard the creme de la creme. I... Shit. I hated every minute of Die Hard 2. Well, that's probably because it's not comparable to Die Hard 1. It's It's, bad. it's not even the same league as Die Hard 1. No, I'm not saying it's a good horrible. sequel, but it's not Caddyshack 2. No. It's a, maybe a, like a step or a half a step above it. What, what do you it. think, Ken? Maybe a step above Clerks 2 or... Yeah, I would even say it's yeah, okay. It's not even or, on the same or, level. As or, you know what? Yeah, maybe right <laughs> yeah. there in the middle of it. But then you have Die Hard with a Vengeance, and then you bring in Samuel L. Jackson, and then you have that chemistry that Lethal Weapon has. And here's yeah. the thing, and I was going to save this for Lethal Weapon 3, because it's been so long I don't even remember Lethal Weapon 3, but Die Hard with a Vengeance, that particular script was going to be a Lethal Weapon script. Then they changed it. Die Hard with a Vengeance is good because it's good writing. There's no plot to Die Hard 2. All of the bad things that you had mentioned, especially action sequels, are. It's more over the top, more blow up. Lethal Weapon 2 here, there is actually a plot that means something. It gets kind of muddled when they try to do too much. I agree. And what is up with Roger Donner and helicopters? There's a helicopter. Oh, those helicopters. I'm glad you brought it up. We get him at the beginning of the movie, the car chase scene, and all of a sudden, there's that helicopter that showed up at the funeral in the first movie. I mean, then we get the helicopters again when they try to make his camper into a Swiss cheese. Is there a uh, helicopter scene in Lady Hawk? (laughs) Yeah. I think there's one in the toy, actually. I think there is. He just loves his helicopters. I I think there is. I don't know what it is. I wrote the same thing. I don't know what the deal is with helicopters. If there's a helicopter in Lethal Weapon 3, I might hit the roof because it's so stupid and it's so yeah, I, and I, old. I don't remember Lethal Weapon 3, and I haven't seen Lethal Weapon 4. I don't 4, think there is one. So I'm going to look for that helicopter. I'm looking for one. Could be a news chopper in there. Right. It's just about so it, ridiculous. You think about it. He's sleeping in bed, and he hears the helicopter coming. Yes. And I'm thinking, he's thinking, we got to get out of here. Yeah. He's thinking, damn, Donner. With your helicopters, I have to wake up and we're going to get shot at. It's like a Vietnam flashback. Uh, That's what I was just going to say. The helicopter coming in over the beach and everything, I'm like, this is an apocalypse now. I don't think we had a helicopter in Maverick, though. I'm actually surprised there wasn't a helicopter in Maverick. That probably would have saved Maverick, (laughs) made it better. Maybe they they needed a helicopter. The helicopters are another thing that just, I don't get it. Maybe this is an 80s thing. Maybe this is a mid to late 80s action movie thing that they all have to have helicopters. Helicopters and nudity. A lot of nudity in this one. Here's the, here, not as much as the first one. First no, one there's a lot more in this one. It's it's That's... consistent. The scene is longer, and they go back and forth because you got the sex scene, and then they go to Roger and Leo, and then they go back to the sex scene, and they go back to Roger and Leo, and then they're going back to the sex scene. Even when they're showing the helicopters, they're going back and forth from the sex scene to the helicopters, and then all of a sudden they're sleeping. Wait well, a second, did you guys you just get pass tired. out all of a second? Well, yeah, they were yeah, doing nine innings. They may have gone to extra innings, we don't know. All this is just too much. And at the beginning of the movie, when we have this chase scene, I wish we knew a little bit more on how this chase scene... And what's what's the deal with Riggs mm-hmm. always running up streets? He loves to run. That's, he yeah. loves yes. to run. Is he running yeah, in so, three and four, so impro- too? It's so improbable because yeah, he's chasing a speeding car. Funny thing about chasing that speeding car, he jumps into the car with Roger. That car doesn't go any faster. No. And it looks like it's going five miles per hour when he jumps in. And Roger's insisting that he drives. It just irks me because I'm sitting there going, he just jumped in the car. It looks like it was going five miles per hour. And now he's been in the car for five or ten seconds, and it still looks like it's going five miles per hour. So I, there's just something wrong with that. I actually so. wish that instead of the chase scene to start the movie off, that they would have done something to establish the villains and enter it mm-hmm. that way. That's kind of what how I would have changed it. You establish these guys as the villains and maybe include that ship 
because the ship ends up being a pretty big part of the whole thing and you only see it at the end. Maybe establish that that's where the drugs are coming from. And how about Roger remembering the name of the ship from his birthday cruise, right? Yeah. I wonder if they stole this from the Naked Gun because I'm yeah, just exactly. Of, I'm just thinking of O.J. Simpson and that ship, and and it's the I love you, and he goes, I love you too. I love you too, Norberg. Yes. <laughs> it well, just, the Naked it, Gun is a knockoff. It's a parody of the buddy cop action movies. Actually, I think the Naked Gun was his Police this. Squad. Yeah. Naked Gun, I think, was '87. Was it the that early? One? Late 80s. I know it was late 80s. I thought it was like yeah. 89. Uh, Naked Gun is 1988. 88. So right in between the first and second. Yeah. But I just thought they, they stole the idea from Naked Gun. They had to remember the boat's name and the drugs and all that stuff are coming from the boat. And I guess this is just the theme of the late 80s is all drugs are in Los Angeles. And well, you gotta it, it's, get... Oh, yeah. It's yeah. not necessarily, and that's not necessarily what I have a problem with is it had, that's how he remembers the name. It's that he leaves Leo in the car and doesn't Always. take him and doesn't take him with him so that there's an opportunity for the bad guy to come. And He's supposed to be watching him 24-7. I mean, right. people are out to kill him. Why, he, why not people... just take him into the house? I mean... I and what's the deal with these bad guys? Are they German, South African, Dutch? What are they? Like a hybrid. Canadians. <laughs> wow. Canadians. There's a lot of ambiguity because they are referred to as Germans quite a bit. German... I never heard them at one time call them Germans. I just never heard it. Well, and they call it the master race. Often, and yeah, and yeah, they call them yeah. Aryans. They try to mix it together to make it look like Germans to a certain extent. But the, I know, think geez. a lot of it was because of apartheid. They were just kind of comparing them to the to Nazis and segregation. Yes. Yeah, but they do sound like Germans. Not a really. Little, a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, they really do sound like Bond villains. Let's be honest. He really it would have been a great Bond villain. I mean, but she's so. Dutch, and she's from the same area as they are. I feel like they're just meshing a lot of a lot of stuff from South Africa, and maybe they were consciously going after the Germans. Who knows? I think the the main focus was the apartheid and making an interesting story up on that. You need to be careful sometimes with how you do that and how you portray a particular race, especially when you are accusing that race of being bigots. Yeah. Are, we getting a, are we doing a deep dive into Mel Gibson right now? Here's the thing. <laughs> Riggs calls them Aryans, and he calls the main guy Adolf. The main bad guy is, is it Arjun. Above his desk in his office, it looks like the eagle from the Nazi symbol. The Nazis had a symbol of an eagle holding the swastika underneath it in a circle. It was supposed to be like the eagle on top of the world. That big thing that he has above his desk looks very much like that, except without the world underneath it. When you have a bunch of people thinking that they're superior over other people, whether it be any type of race, the Nazis or the Ku Klux Klan or the situation in South Africa, any of those situations you can put them together and lump them in as, like, let's say, the master race, because they're basically saying that they are the master race when they are saying that they're better than another group of people. I'm going to give a pass to probably Donner on this one, just because I don't think, I think it might be a little bit sloppy on his part. But at the same time, I think what he's trying to show is if you think that you're better than a certain race, then, then you're saying that you're the master race, and that's just stupid. Apartheid was horrible. The white South Africans believed that they were superior to the black South Africans, and that's it was a real thing, and people were jailed. They were, it was horrible. The comparison is definitely okay, and it's definitely right. I think that they portrayed it as good as it possibly could in a action movie. But correct I mean, me if I'm wrong, because I think you did the study on this. At that particular time, it wasn't a German... No, Germans never had anything to do with South Africa. It was the Dutch started the colonization process of South Africa, and then it was the British who were the main colonizers of South Africa. And if you look at both those countries, the Dutch and the British, if you look at their incursions into Africa as colonies, it is on brand, so to speak, that there would be a lot of racism involved. People know what the Germans did in the 40s with the Nazi movement. Is that what we're doing here? If so, then I can understand why you're trying to, to relate it. Maybe people in 1989 are a little ignorant to what's going on in South Africa at the time. Oh, no. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no you wouldn't say a little ignorant? 
No, uh-uh. The United States government in, in the late 80s of this area had uh, sanctions against South Africa. Right, but it's not like it is now where you know everything that is to know about almost every country out there. In the 80s, the news that you got was basically what you were fed by a newspaper and then the, like, the late night news. I don't believe you don't think I have Fox yet or MSNBC. CNN or started in like 1982. But you don't have anybody going up against CNN at that particular Well, but time. no, you have... You have the big three when it comes to the nightly news, the big, you know, Dan Rather, right. Bro Call, those guys. The nightly news is on for yeah. an hour. I, I don't know too many people in their 20s that were watching those shows. That was more for people who were like, you know, older generations that like to watch their I, Johnny Carson. I watched it when I was a kid. Here, Here's oh, the thing, been, man. You been, don't you diss Johnny Carson. Last, don't you diss years. Johnny Carson. When this movie was released, I would have... Back in my day... <laughs> Yeah, I would have been close to 10 years old. And even I knew what was going on in South America. All you had to do was watch the news. This was widely reported. I don't know exactly when the Reagan administration put sanctions on South Africa, but our government actually supported the apartheid government for the longest time. And that was a huge bone of contention, and people were protesting, just like they do now. They were protesting the fact that we were supporting the apartheid government government in South Africa. The Clinton administration was the one that really pushed for the release of Nelson Mandela from prison because he was imprisoned illegally. He was imprisoned because he was black and he was considered a, a rabble rouser. And they trumped up a bunch of bad charges against him and put him in prison. Film wasn't attacking this just yet. It was starting right here, right now. It's starting with this movie. I, I remember seeing, and I think it came out the same year, A Dry White Season, which focused on... Uh, South Africa and the things that were going on there. It was actually Marlon Brando's return to film because he had been gone a while. I don't think Hollywood was actually focusing on South Africa. And I think now we're seeing those films happening in the late 80s. I think that's why you said earlier, kudos to Richard Donner here, because he takes a subject matter that not too many people are touching here. And he's bringing it in front of people to say, hey, because some people, they don't know anything about the news. They get their entertainment. And here they got, you know, I'm going to see Lethal Weapon 2 because Lethal Weapon is one of the biggest films of 1987. If we want to talk about movies, wow, 1989 is the movie year. You have Batman and you have Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. This is a big year for movies. So if you want to get your message out, 1989 is probably the year to do it. The whole idea of the apartheid government wasn't really being tackled. And part of it was because of the ambiguity of our government's stance on... Do we think that Richard Donner, though, had an agenda when he made this movie? It wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't in the back of his mind. If you look at even like the assassins, and I know you and I didn't really care for assassins, but there are political statements all over that movie. South American, stuff like that. Yeah. And he seems to, to shoehorn some sort of a statement into a lot of his movies. Okay. But rather controversial to speak out against the apartheid government in South Africa. And it's just like the major bad guy here in this movie, they still held a lot of power that they held over other countries. Yeah, because South Africa has diamond mines, don't they? South African diamonds, I, the gold cougarans. I think gold is one of the big things. The diamond mines, I think, are up in northern. Or farther in Africa. I thought there were some. Sierra Leone. Yeah. I wouldn't surprise me if they didn't have diamond mines there. There's a lot of archaeological sites in South Africa, though, too. Like, I did read that they have the most UNESCO heritage sites in all of Africa. Really? Yeah. Going back to the action of this film and some of the things that are just a little bit crazy, the house on the stilts that they decide to pull down with the truck. The one stilt that takes the whole house down? Yeah. It's a great California foundation right there, right? One stilt holding the whole house up. How about that? Like I said before, it would have ripped the axle out of the back of that truck. Interesting fact about this was the original house is a real house, but they actually built that house on the Warner Brothers lot, a duplicate, to tear down. So they didn't tear down the, the, the original house there. That would have been kind of crazy. But the fact that you have Riggs, he says, you'll wait for my sign. Well, my sign is that I may pull the house down with you in Leo. You'll in know it. what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he does all this not knowing their safety. It's ridiculous. I'd rather them both go in and shooting than him tying this 
thing to his truck and pulling the whole thing down. It's just dumb. I saw an episode of a TV show called Psych where they tried to do the same thing and it ripped the car in half. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's what probably it really would do. It would rip the car in half, not rip the house in half. But it's stuff like that. It's stuff like the helicopters coming and making his camper into Swiss cheese. It's it's just all these different things. I mean, how inventive do you have to be to kill each one of these cops? You put it on the diving board because you know she's going to go swimming, I guess. It's uh, very Bond-esque when it comes yeah, to the deaths. Yeah. Here's the other thing. Why don't you just lay off of them and do what you're supposed to do anyway? The only reason why they end up finding out what you're doing is because you're trying to kill them. Yeah. If you don't try to kill these guys, you're going to run away with all this money and you're going to leave and you're going to be fine. It's a little sloppy. I mean, it's fun sloppy. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy this because of the fact you have the leads and the leads are working great with each other. But then, I mean, you do stupid things like Leo tries to get out of the car on the wrong side and and the door door off. Yeah. But he's got the handle on. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's just a little too silly in those situations. The violence is cartoonish. It's just not as tight as the first movie. And that's unfortunate. It is a little unfortunate. I agree. It's definitely not as tight as the first movie. It does have some fun scenes. I did enjoy the movie, but it's not as tight, for lack of a better word, as the first one. But as sequels go, it's it's not too bad. I mean, I don't even know why he stays in the office and shoots the fish. Nobody was paying attention to him. It just seems like he could have just snuck out instead of closed the door. And not only does he close the door, he doesn't go for his gun right away to protect himself. They could have shot him dead there and it wouldn't have mattered. I know Ted doesn't like this part where he like any mini money. Hey, Mo. No, and hey, then no. he shoots the fish. Richard Donner says that all those fish were dead to begin with, so there weren't any oh, live. Oh, good, good. No good. live fish were harmed in the, in the making, of, in the making uh... of this film. You know, and maybe we're thinking about it too much because we adored the first one. And I think with any sequel, I think with any sequel, you want it to be special. But not everything could be Godfather. Not everything could be Empire Strikes Back. These are movies that are equal to or better than the original. But we would be disingenuous if we didn't try to hold it to the same standard as the first movie. And like I've said before, I enjoyed the movie. It could have been so much better. And it just some decisions needed to have been made to rein in some of these things. It's And we've been talking about them. And they're just decisions made here that don't add up to a fully coherent movie. But at the end of the day, the three actors save the whole thing. You including Joe Pesci? Yes, because okay. I think Joe Pesci does really well here. I think <laughs> Joe Pesci in general is a really good actor. No doubt. Joe Pesci is a phenomenal actor in any of the Scorsese movies or any of the mob movies he's in. He's an incredible actor. And even he's got some comedy chops, too. My Cousin Vinny, stuff like that. I don't think he saves the day in this movie. I Honestly, I'm, I'm looking forward to three and four because I think Joe Pesci is kind of a little bit of an afterthought in this movie. And I know I'll probably eat those words come watching three and four, but I really could have done without him. I almost think they're beta testing here. So probably. They're testing out a third character because they want to bring in a love interest for Riggs, but they want to see how it's going to play off with Murdoch. If you notice, most of the times... Leo is with Roger. You have Riggs, who's like tailing the bad guys, or he's with the girl. There's not as many scenes with Roger as we were seeing in the first movie. And I think they were testing to see, does the girl work? Does Leo work with Roger? So when we do three and we give him a serious girlfriend, can we play that off? I like Leo, but I would have liked to seen a little bit more of the family dynamic. I, I like Roger's family. I would like to seen a little bit more. I think the commercial is funny. The fact that she doesn't tell her family that she's in the condom commercial and and everybody's sitting around the TV set and watching this. You know, all the guys are saying, she makes me want to go buy rubbers. The rubber tree is funny. I yes. actually think the rubber tree is Cops is, can is be terrible. cruel. Yes. Yeah. But and I love the fact when the cops say, Well, if you don't like it, you can you can exchange it. Yeah. Right. So I thought that humor was funny. I think they overplayed its hand a little bit. But it's like when Leo sees the commercial and then you have the contractor who's building that hobby room and he says something. It's one too many times. One too many times. Right. It's the it's the rule of three, the rule of seventeen. It's funny up to the third time they went to the well one too many times. It's like when I go golfing and Ted runs over my golf ball with 
with a golf cart. And then he does it like 10 to 15 more times because he still thinks it's funny. Because it is. It's not funny after the first time. Yeah, I would have liked to see more of the family dynamic. He has a good family. They do plays the wife. We talked about her in the first film. She's pretty good as Roger's wife. But we see less and less of the kids as the series goes more and more and it's unfortunate you're building up to three and four aren't you building up to three and four building up in three and four there's a lot of good stuff here i think there's a lot of things that you could take away because i think it will enhance the comedy that you have in it if you had less of the comedy in it for instance you took the toilet away you took away one too many jokes about the comes away less is more well yeah there is a good movie here there is a good story here it doesn't need everything piled on top of it the story is actually a really good story. It's almost like that they didn't think that they had enough. And in all actuality, they did. There's a lot of good stuff here. I like the fact that he does have a quote-unquote love interest. That's definitely a step in the right direction for his character. I'm glad that Riggs isn't still all depressed and that there's movement in his character. He's on the path of evolving his character. And like I said, I also do really like the Leo Getz character. I think his character is really good. It's just that there's some things that are just too much. So there's a lot here to like. One of the things that I really liked is I liked how Riggs's character, how he bugs the main bad guy, where he keeps pulling up with him. He keeps popping up at different places, and he's at the rally outside his office building. I think that's actually pretty ingenious. It's overshadowed by so many other things that are so over the top that don't need to be. I wish those things with him bothering the bad guy, if they were a little bit more than just, oh, I pulled right up in front of you, or I'm next to you at the light, or I'm standing with a sign at your office building. I mean, I, I would have liked to seen him do a little bit more things that made his life difficult. It just didn't seem like it was difficult enough. So I didn't feel like there was much there for Well, he was, for his, really his goal was just to annoy the guy. Yeah, he, but I think they could have done a better job of annoying him. I mean, he does have diplomatic immunity, so it's not like he can really pistol whip the guy and harass him. But everything he was doing was just being an ordinary person on the street. I mean, technically, they could have probably got Riggs arrested for trespassing because he was in there and they could have easily just had called the cops and said, hey, he was in here harassing us or filing charges because technically he can't be there. This movie in general plays that a lot where they do things that they're not allowed to do and get away with it. And, and that's fine. It's a fine movie. It's it's just got its difficulties here and there. I like the Leo character. I like the fact that Leo cleans his place. Good for Leo because if he doesn't clean the place, brings a date later on over there. And if she sees what kind of pig style he actually lived in, she probably would be turned off by it. Oreos and chili sound a very interesting combination there. Oreos and chili. Which yeah. he's actually making when he's talking to Trish. The house? Is that what he's making? He's making yeah. chili with, with Oreos. Yeah, Interesting. But tempting uh, to try, isn't it? I thought about it after I watched it. I was like, hmm. No. Ted says no, but he, no. don't knock it until you try it. Have you friend. tried it, Ted? No, no. He hasn't tried crystal no. meth either, but it doesn't mean he's not going <laughs> to. Maybe he has. So, Ted, have you tried crystal meth? Nope. Nope. Don't have any attention either. I don't know. Chocolate and chili does, doesn't sound like it goes together. I'd roll the sounds dice. Like, sounds like one of those comedy things that they took a little too far. You know, it was subtle, though. It was really subtle because if you're not watching it, you're not seeing him actually drop the Oreos into I the I wasn't. I didn't. It was very subtle. I yeah. thought he was just making super chili. I did not notice the Oreos going in there. Don't notice it until, like, the second watch. Now I got to rewatch it. Well, we have talked about this movie in great detail. Now let's get to our reviews and see if we like or dislike this movie. We'll kick it off with Ted. Well, thanks, Eric. I'm going to be 100% honest. Coming into our discussion of the movie, I think I might have had a little bit of a higher grade on the movie. Like Ken's had before, where our discussion has improved his view of a movie. I think our discussion here has kind of taken my opinion down a little bit. Because I came into this movie, and I will stand by this I think there is a really good movie here. This movie has a lot of really good points that it makes. I think it's very socially forward, especially for the time. And now looking back, it addresses it in a very respectful manner. There's too much stuff here that doesn't need to be. And I think, like I said before, the director and the writers here play cards that don't need to be played, like having Riggs' wife be killed by one of the bad guys, because these guys are already bad guys. 
it's unnecessary. And I think that's the story of this movie. There's too much unnecessary stuff. That being said, I like these characters, and I think these characters have progressed well, and I like the addition of the Leo Getz character. I think a lot of that works, and I think a lot of it works well. It's just brought down by excess in some ways, and that's unfortunate for me. So this movie, for me, I'll probably rewatch it at some point. Probably not in the close future, but there's a lot to enjoy here. So for this movie, it is lower than the original. But for a sequel, this movie is a more than serviceable. This movie's going to fall right at a C-plus for me. I, I gave the original, I think, a B. It's trying to do too much when it doesn't need to. And that's why I'm going to give it a C-plus. Wow. Did not see a C-plus coming. Higher for or me, lower? No, I thought it'd be higher. I really thought higher? it'd be higher, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, for me, this is a fun movie. I don't think there's really too much difference between the first one and the second one, to be honest with you, except for the addition of uh, Leo Getz, which I think is an annoying character and probably could have done without him or a lot less of him. Now, maybe that'll change when I see three and four again, because honestly, I do not remember three and four. I've never seen four. I don't remember three. Maybe that'll change my reviews of those two. But in this one, yeah, it's hokey. There's a lot of over-the-top stuff. There's a lot of misdirection here and there. But overall, it's a fun movie. It's a fun action, over-the-top comedy drama, whatever you want to call it. It's all over the place. It's a little disorganized, but so is the first one. Let's be honest. I liked it. I'd watch it again. I haven't seen it in many, many years. I watched it, and I, I really actually enjoyed it. I would probably give this one a B minus. I can't remember what I gave the first one. A B or B minus, Ken? Do you know? Do you remember? I think it was a B. Okay, then that makes sense. Give it a B. I give this one a B minus. I'm pretty confident on that one. All right, Ken, take us home. This movie is not as good as the first Lethal Weapon, which I gave a B plus to. I agree with Ted on a lot of things of this movie. I disagree with you, Eric, about the Leo Getz character, I think. He does add value to this movie. As me and Ted were talking about earlier, very rarely do you get a character that's introduced into your main duel that's able to add something to the movie. It's usually, well, we're, we're talking about Leo Getz, right? We're talking about Leo Getz. Yeah, you whatever. said he added something to the movie? I do. I do think he does okay. add something to the movie. Right. Or at, least, at least he doesn't take anything away, which a lot of characters in his position would do. And I think that says, again, a lot about Joe Pesci, uh, the actor. We, we can agree to disagree on that one. I don't think he took anything away from it, but... I don't really think he added that much to it. Because whenever you do a sequel, you don't want it to be exactly the same as your first movie. And I think Joe Pesci's the one thing that they added that worked. Everything else that they try to add on to this movie didn't quite get there. And that's just one too many action scenes. One too many making fun of the condom commercial. Or, like we said, the toilet flying in there and hitting the car. All these bad things that happened to this poor car. It's not a straight comedy. If it was a straight comedy, sure. Those things would probably be more appropriate to do it. But this is more of an action film than a comedy. So let's pull back on the comedy just a tad. I am struggling with the grade, though, here, because I do like it. I don't want to give it a B-, minus because I feel like it's a tad better than a B-, minus, but it also doesn't seem to feel like it should be a B either. So right now I'm going to go with a B, but it's a very weak B. I mean, it's extremely weak. Would it, you say it would be to B or not to B? <laughs> it's to B. <laughs> B to B or B minus to B. Let's put it this way. After watching this film, I wanted to see the third film and I wanted to see the fourth film. It's because the chemistry here continues to work. And I think they're basically on cruise control. You could just have these two actors. Isn't that the speed sequel? Cruise control? <laughs> oh, no. It's not. Oh, we're never no. Gonna, never yes, gonna, it is. Now, we want to talk about terrible sequels. There's your terrible sequel. If you want to compare Die Hard 2 to Speed 2, there's your difference. I mean, there's your action drama that, or your action sequel that just sucks. Two. Yeah, oh, it's just a terrible movie. Okay, if we're comparing <laughs> those two movies, then all of a sudden Die Hard 2 becomes Citizen Kane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, these two guys, their chemistry is amazing. And they can carry a film with a weak script with too many of those things that we just talked about because we like them. We like them together. Every time they're in a scene together, we're happy. When they're doing their own thing by themselves, it's not as good. But when they're working together, we love them together. 
And so that's why I think I stick with that B, even though I, I'll still stick with it. It's a weak B. Okay. To be or not to be. All right. That well, is the thank question. you for that. So we all pretty much give the movie somewhere in that B minus to B range. So, all right. That's not too bad for a sequel. Our next movie is going to be the third movie in this. It's not a trilogy. What would you call it? A quad. Quadrology. Quadrology of Lethal Weapon. I guess. I don't know. Lethal Weapon 3. I just made up a word, I I think. You know, I'm going to go with it. It sounds good to me. The Quadropoly of the Lethal Weapon series, Lethal Weapon 3, which I believe has Rene Russo in it and Joe Pesci. So, God help us all. Ted, where can This is one I uh, haven't seen. I think I've seen bits and pieces of it, but honestly, I couldn't put this plot together if you put a gun to my head. I haven't seen the fourth one. It's new to me. It's like the old NBC uh, sitcom series. It's all. If you haven't seen it, it's new to you. Ted, where can they find us on the World Wide Web? We can be found on Twitter at movie underscore marquee with two E's. And whatever platform you're listening to us on, if you could give us a rating and a review, that would be really helpful because that will help us be seen by more people. It'll send us into the rankings and be able to uh, reach a wider audience. So anything you can do to help there would be great. Leaving a review, it doesn't have to be long. Just say, I like Ted better than Ken, and that works. And you'd be right to like Ted more than me. (laughs) Okay. We'll take constructive criticism all day long, man. Write it all. What are they saying about us on Facebook, Ken? Uh, They're saying to go to hell and die. No. Okay. Um, We um, posted news that the Goonies are coming out with a Goonies TV show on Disney+. Plus. I know Eric and Ted are extremely excited about that. That's quite unfortunate. Uh, That's that's, that's a shame. Isn't it interesting that when Richard Donner dies that they come up with the Goonies TV series and Lethal Weapon 5 is in process right now with Mel Gibson directing? Oh, Mel Gibson's directing? Mel Gibson is slated to direct. There's actually some controversy about that right now because people are... I bet there is. Is. Upset? You think? <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. Why yeah. would that be, Ken? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll discuss. Eventually, eventually, we're going to have to address that big elephant that's standing in the corner of the room. The well, big drunk elephant at the car. We're going to have to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have to address. We that got eventually. pulled over, but uh, yeah, we're having fun on there. So continue with the postings. We would love feedback. If you don't want to share your feedback on social media, feel free to email us. You can email us at themoviemarquee at gmail.com. We love the feedback because, you know, your feedback allows us to determine what directions we go next with this podcast. Well, that'll do it for uh, this episode. Appreciate you all listening. Want everyone to have a good night and a pleasant tomorrow. See you at the movies. See you next time at the Movie Marquee. Mm-hmm.